Hi, this is Jason. And this is Connor. And we want to welcome you to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Today we are continuing on in our parable series. We have a parable submitted by Lita. And so she's going to introduce the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Matthew 21 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. What amazes me about this parable is obviously God's amazing grace and generosity. Um, I think what amazes me even more is the fact that he goes out and looks for, pursues the the ones that are idle, that haven't worked all day, because he wants so badly to give and be generous and show his grace. So he doesn't wait for them to come looking for him. He goes and finds them in the marketplace. And that is an amazing trait of God that I love. One, thank you so much, Lita, for submitting that to us. It is always a blessing when we hear from anybody uh, that what God is showing them in, in their lives. I, I don't know about you, Jason, but I really loved what Lita had to say there. And it's not anything that I picked up on when I was reading this passage, but it really speaks to me. As somebody who has maybe been described as idle, uh, that would be the kind way that, that people have described me at, at certain points <laughs> in my life. I mean, that is just, it, it, that is just so compelling. Uh, that's, that's such a compelling view of God that he is, the, you know, like 
here's the funny thing. Like you have the, the image of, um, of the shepherd chasing after the, the one sheep who's lost in the wilderness and leaving the 99. And there's this kind of image of like, well, it's just a dumb sheep wandering around and the shepherd goes and finds it. Um, and he rescues it from, from the wilderness. And what I love about what, about this image, uh, it's just some dudes like, you know, standing around, not doing anything. And, and then, and then the landowner comes in and rescues, um, rescues them from, from the nothingness, from the idleness. And I, I just love that, that different angle of, of this, uh, of this thought from uh, Lita. I love that too. And, and it's interesting. We recorded, uh, Heather speaking to this passage months ago, mm-hmm. you know, like we don't dictate which parable someone chooses and we contemplated that, but thought, you know, we're just going to let God guide that. And so when we received this from Lita, Lita, before she submitted it, had already recorded it, but then told us, oh, you already had, a, you know, a listener, you know, send this in. And I, and I, but I still wanted to listen to it. And as we suspected, I, what Heather was drawn to, what you were drawn to, Connor, what I was drawn to, all different stuff. You know, and this is the beauty of the word of God. And I think it really speaks to one of our, certainly, certainly our, one of our goals is don't be afraid of the Bible. Like, like read it and ask God to teach you. But what happens is if I perceive your, I don't know, more experienced in the Bible and I have a different view than you, then there's the assumption, well, you're right and I'm wrong. And then the net effect of that is I stop reading the Bible, really asking God, God, show me this truth. And the, and the truth is, the Word of God is so living and active, it will always impact people a little bit differently. And I think this is a great illustration. Yeah, and I think that this is a really fun practice because I, I, I hope that as we get further along into the podcast, we can go back and revisit uh, revisit some of the earlier episodes we did and really just like compare like compare them and be like, hey, how much of it was similar content? And if I had to guess, I would assume that we would probably just go on completely different paths. And, and I think there's this natural urge for some people, and I know I would have had this natural urge, like, well, if you're talking differently about it, or if you're, the conversation is going a completely different direction, then you're not following the Bible, right? You're not getting it right. You're not, you know, getting, getting the doctrine correct. And I think what's so liberating about um, allowing the Word of God to speak for itself, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your life, is there isn't this pressure for me that when I hear this today, February 2nd or February 3rd or whatever, 2021, that I have to have the absolute correct, 100% firm, concrete, get it right here and now. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a process of discovery and and, um, uncovering new things. And for me, that is just so life-giving and so liberating because if I have the pressure of, hey, here's the Bible, here's scripture, and I have to understand everything completely 100% right now, then my mind is going to it's going to shut down it's going to go into panic mode it's going to go into test mode right like if you had that experience as, as a kid and you would take a test and you felt like you had a lot of the, the information you had a lot of the answers but then you start to see all the questions pop up and your your brain just goes blank i feel like that happens a lot of time for us when we're reading scripture because we feel like oh i've got to get i got to get to the the correct answer here because i've got to get you know the right answers for the test coming later I think that's that's really good, and if you are listening to this and you uh, or or you know people that just do not read the Bible, and in my conversations with Christians, most will say either they have a rigid plan that they just show up for every day, and a lot of that has to do with personality, or they haven't read it in months. That that's usually what I experience with Christians, and those that read it every day, 
if I ask them, what's your newest discovery? Oftentimes they kind of, well, I don't, you know, it's just, and I honor their discipline. You know, there, there's no dishonor there. But the idea of the Bible being a constant source of wonder, a constant source of life-giving learning. And one thing we've said uh, to each other is that, man, if we stop learning, this needs to stop. So, and, and what's funny is we will have a conversation around the passage beforehand before we actually record the podcast, and then we start the podcast and read the scripture or listen to somebody else who's processed the scripture, our conversation will be different. And my guess is, is after the podcast, we'll have yet a different conversation. That's how life-giving the Word of God is. And if you look at the Word of God and say, man, I don't, it's stale to me, I would encourage you to think, why? Because we want to keep modeling we're not doing hours of study before we record this podcast. We want to interact and learn from this from the scripture as the podcast unfolds. And every time I learn something. And back to what Lita said, I, I really my mind seized on that too, is he was the actor. He wasn't waiting at his house. Now there are times like the prodigal son where he's waiting at his house for the son to return, but that's because of free will. The son knew where to go. He'd already tasted and seen that the Lord was good, but made a decision to separate and the God wouldn't take that free will away. But to those that didn't know how much he loved, he goes searching. And what that says to me is the people I love, man, there's a ton of people I love that don't really know Jesus, and I do my best to share with them. But I also remind myself, God is super active not just through me, but in all ways to share with these people that don't yet know him. Mm. And that really frees me up from putting pressure on myself to, I better get it right. So so God, the landowner, he's the searcher and the giver. And I think we tend to either p- to pick up both those roles or we pick up one of them. And when we can let those go and, and give them to God who actually can fulfill those roles, it becomes just, the, the possibilities just really open up. Absolutely. The other thing too is so I so I had a guy that that I've had the privilege of knowing since he was in seventh grade and he's a senior now, and um, I just working with the best I can and unchurched and and very far from God his in in his family context, and so I just little by little just trying to influence him and encourage him. Well, then two years ago I found out there was this other guy that he was spending time with, and I need you to understand I felt pretty angry. <laughs> it's just truth. I was like, "How dare this guy?" And this guy supposedly is a Christian. I didn't know him, you know. And he he was doing these other things, and he was doing things that I wasn't doing, you know, oh, taking man. him camping and things like that. Which, if you know me, you know I hate camping. So, <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, "Oh, he's gonna like him." The guy's name was John. He's gonna like John more than me, and this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. Wait a minute, I'm on John's team. Yeah, God is providing this this mutual person to both the John and I to love him and show him Christ. And there's things that John that God will show through John mm-hmm. that I won't and vice versa. And man, once that clicked, and I had to discipline myself some, because when I'd get with him, he'd be like, man, I'm going with John this week, and we had so much fun. And I'm like, I don't know if we have much fun. I don't know if we're doing good. And and instead of saying, well, you just go with John, then obviously he's better, or I'm going to somehow try to outpace John, yeah. realizing, praise God, that I'm one of the tools in the shed here to, to impact this this young man's life. Yeah, it's being like it's just a completely different perspective of being able to be the first worker and be excited for the people that you stood at the morning with and who are now, you know, are now getting what you got and be able to be excited for them. I have a completely it's not a, it's not in the spiritual everything is spiritual, but it's not in the spiritual kind of realm th- realm of things. So I work at UPS and for those who don't know, UPS is a uh, union based 
company. And so most of the employees that are non-management are, are union and I'm a member of the union. And so what that means, and this, I don't mean to get political at all. I don't mean to, you know, pro, you know, positive, negative on, on the union side of things. But there are a lot of great things that come along with, with unions. But one of the bad things that I've noticed in my workplace is that there's really no incentive to work hard. Because no matter what, you're going to get a certain kind of raise. As long as you don't show up and commit a crime, as long as you show up on time, you can go as slow as you want. You can go as fast as you want. And for me, this is a continual struggle. I will show up and things will happen at work and I will get super frustrated and I'll be working my butt off. I'll be trying to like, you know, keep up and trying to like really really push forward because I want to go home and then I'll look over and there'll be somebody else who's just taking their sweet time, who doesn't care, who's throwing boxes. Side note, just so you know, all of your packages um, are just being thrown. They're falling off 20 foot conveyor belts. Um, so just so you know, like the videos you see on Facebook of like a driver throwing a package onto a porch, that is the kindest your package has been treated in the whole process. Uh, but no, no, no. But for, for real, there is this like I, I have struggled with this visceral anger of me. Like I have sweat pouring down my face, running around and seeing the person next to me just not trying whatsoever. And there is no benefit for me. They get paid the same amount as I do. They get the same benefits. They're not like there's no promotion that I'm going to get over them because I work really hard. There is literally no material benefit for me. They get paid exactly what they get paid. And I'm almost jealous of them because it's like I wish I could not care as much and be la be lazier, not work as hard and get the same benefits. And it's been this continual thing for me that I have to like check, check that impulse, check that anger at them. Uh, because for me, I see myself as this, you know, I'm this go get this hard worker and they're just over there. They're, you know, they're, they're over there being lazy and doing nothing. And I just continually, like every single day have to submit that, um, submit that anger, uh, because man, it, it is, this is something that pops up like every single day in my life. I, I love that application because it, it is, I, I, I totally understand what you said. This is not like as overtly spiritual as, you know, my intentions with this student I'm working with. But at the same time is there is great spiritual practice that you're doing there. Like every time you make a decision not to defeat the thought, but to process the thought with God, that's practice in all other areas of life. So great spiritual uh, progress is happening there. You know, we, we typically think, well, the only way I can show spiritual progress is if I don't feel that way anymore. I would, I would push back and say, I think Jesus felt like he didn't want to go to the cross, even while he was on the cross. That's good. But because of the joy set before him, he stayed there, and he trusted God. He'd already said, God, is there any other way we can do it? And he goes there. But his feelings didn't change. He just submitted those feelings over and over again to God. And I think, even though you've been working there a while, if you go in tomorrow and have to process that again with God, that's the work you're supposed to be doing. Mm. not pretending like you don't feel it or you're so spiritual it doesn't affect you anymore. But if this is a feeling you have, hey, God, I'm having this feeling. Work with me on this. Sure, and I think there's this tendency with this passage to go like, my job is to not question like like the like the earlier workers end up doing. And, and I think my, my job is, is not necessarily to not question. It's to be open and honest and to be real with that struggle. Like, I think we talk about this all the time with the parables. Like, if, if they'd gone, you know, in in this parable, if the first workers had gone to the landowner and been like, hey, what what's the thinking here? Like, what what's your, what's your, like, what's your scheme? What's your equation to get where you get? Like, I, I just, I don't understand this. I, I think that would be, man, 
I, I think that would have been like, that would have been success in this parable. And for me, that's where it shows up so often in my life of having to go like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over that initial burst of like frustration with somebody who's being lazy while I work really hard. But there is this opportunity. I, like I know, like it's happened many, many times where like I'll be working hard and then there'll be a lazy person next to me who is not tried at all. And then I get told by my boss to go help the lazy person. And you just like, oh, I see red. I see so much red. But if I go over there and I work just as hard for them as I did for myself, I, I know that that... Um, that 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 there's some sort of life there. There's some sort of uh, some sort of goodness occurring there. And so, yeah, for me, I don't know if I'll ever get over that frustration or I'll ever like get to the goal of what we would see as like, well, I'm not questioning it at all. But I have seen in my life getting. I have seen. I have seen it in my life getting um, better at processing it, like you said, and getting better at um, at just being honest with how I'm feeling in the moment. Okay, so I know we got, have to go to perplex, but this, and maybe this will perplex me if I gave it more thought, but this just blew my mind as, as you're talking and thinking about what would God want you to learn as you're helping this underperforming, you know, coworker. This idol. This idol, idol <laughs> loser of a... Now, anyway, <laughs> this this beautiful man in God, it's him, each person that has a different sense of work ethic. Let's go with that. Um, but the, the dynamic there is... All of a sudden, if the scales were changed, like what you're measuring things by, mm -hmm. your sense of well-being would change. In other words, if uh, it, right now when I do work, like like let's say I was in your job, I'd be assessing, you know, your your time, your pay, your energy output. You know what I mean? And and the payoff there, the reward would of course be the pay, or if your job allowed you to get off earlier, this kind of thing. You know what I mean? The, that would be the scale. That's not an evil scale. It's just a scale. I think in this parable, and I'm. Uh, it's new to me. I'm trying to work on this, but he's wanting them. He knows they understand the pay scale, you know, and work equals certain amount of pay and comparative paying versus how many hours or how much energy you put in. Um, but Jesus is trying to get them to see on a broader scale, a spiritual scale. So if we're somehow quantify, Connor, when you work hard as working for the Lord, not for men, there's, this is, this is a hundred, you know, dollars in spiritual currency and then when you f see something that truly bothers you laziness is not something god honors you know but if you see something truly bothers you and you process that with god instead of condemning that person that's another hundred dollars then if you go help them that's a thousand dollars well all of a sudden you're leaving that day feeling like man i was super successful so that what I love what you said there. Let me see if I can kind of tease it out a little bit. Is the workers knew that the the workers had this expectation that a certain amount of work means a certain amount of money, and the more you work, the more money you get, and that's the equation that they were working on. And what Jesus is trying to get across is that the equations that we're working with, the mathematics that we're trying to apply to our spiritual life, to our everyday life, those are not the same problems that Jesus has come to solve. Those are not the same things that Jesus is really interested in. And I think. From and, and it's not to say Jesus is not interested in our work. He, he is interested. But if I can get the perspective of I came back from my uh, paternity leave and they told me it took two to three people to do my job, which I was like, that's eh, not it's nice to be appreciated. But like, does that come with like a raise? Because like I'm doing the job of two to three people. Um, but if if my that initial condescending thought turns, if, if I begin to calculate out in a different sort of way, if I start to go, hey, what does somebody see? when they see when I'm gone that it's taking two to three people to um, to do my job, 
what do they see when they know that I'm a youth, I've been a youth pastor? What do they see when they know that I'm always willing to help and always willing to stay after? What are the potential um, ramifications? What are the potential uh, conclusions? And um, yeah, what are the potential conclusions that people can draw from that? And, and I think just reminding myself over and over and over again that I have a certain way that I have a, there's a certain way that man assumes that everybody calculates worth and value off of. And Jesus over and over and over again throughout the gospels shows that there is a different way. And that way is, is, is not the way that we're, we do it so often. I think that that really is helpful. And I'm trying, even now I'm like, okay, that helps me fine tune. Ultimately it comes into what's valuable. You know, so I would say in addition to what you said, as far as, so so now you've introduced this other, I'll call it a scale, but this other estimation of value, you know, per your work and what's worthwhile. So you were talking about the impact on the humans, and I think that's another uh, way of thinking about what's your work worth, what's your energy and effort worth. Then I wonder, I believe it's, it plays off that dynamic where he says, you're you're building up treasure in heaven. Now, what does that look like? Because he just kind of said in this parable that now that's a different parable, but he just said in this parable, or you, you would imply you're going to get the same benefit in heaven. But then there are other passages that talk about differentiation based on, I'm thinking about there's a passage in Second Corinthians that if you, you'll still be saved, but if you're building on a foundation of, you know, this yeah. kind of thing, it says one the is parable of fire. talents. And yeah, and the parable of talents. So, so these, there's all yeah. these different things that are showing up. But I do think, at the very least, when I, when I find a point of frustration, like with a student I'm working with, and I start thinking, my sense of progress isn't God's. And, and I, would, I would submit to you Jesus' work with the apostles, which I believe would be perceived as a failure if when you're the mentor and you die, and your result is one guy betrays you and commits suicide, one guy denies you, and the rest, well, everybody but one, runs hiding and is living in terror. That's not successful mentoring. You know, even when he comes back, they're still in hiding. Even when they see him, they're still in hiding. And not until the spirit comes days later do you start to see that potential, you know? And and so he is working off such a different different system. I, I guess is the best way I can say it now. But I know we need to get to perplexed, but that that is that's a learning piece for me that I need to keep working on. What perplexes me about this parable is that in my humanness, I can't wrap my mind around this being fair, even though I know that God is a just and fair God. To try to to wrap my mind around an inmate on death row in his final hours accepting God's salvation and getting rewarded the same as Paul just does not seem fair to me. But I, I think what perplexes me even more is that the landowner, who I assume is representing God, gives the pay to the last workers first in front of the first workers, almost pr- provoking the envy and, and jealousy and anger and grudging 
I've even heard this parable referred to as grace in your face. And um, that's what it seems like to me. And I um, can imagine when we are in heaven enjoying our reward that we will care or even notice people that may not have spent their whole life serving God. Um, I just can't, I, I don't think that envy will be any part of, of heaven. And um, so I'm, sh- I'm just not sure what this part of the parable is supposed to be, supposed to be teaching us. Um, I, I don't know why God would dole out his generosity in a provoking way to others who may resent it. So that perplexes me, and I just want to know, Jason and Connor, what do you think? So I just want to point out that I think... I think Heather had maybe the, kind of a similar perplexion. Thank you so much, Parker, for saving us. We're, we would have gone on like idiots for years. <laughs> uh, go listen to Parker Ingley's episode if you don't get that reference. Uh, but what I love about what I love about this process of what we do is I think Heather had the same perplexion. I think we kind of had a similar perplexion. And it's however many months after the fact. And I still don't really have a good answer. And I still don't really have a way to perfectly wrap my head around the fairness, the justness. I have some thoughts and I have some ideas, but man, just be able to be okay with it, right? Just be able to be okay and go like, I don't know if I'm ever going to completely get it. I don't know if I'm ever going to fully be able to work through it and to be able to just 100%, yeah, I'm completely on board with this view. I trust God. I trust, like Lita said, I trust that he's good and he is um, righteous and, and his justice is perfect. But I think I think this is such a good and important reminder and why we're doing this for a second time that we're coming back several months after the fact and we're still working through it. At least I'm still working through it. And for me, that's just an incredibly valuable reminder to just keep putting in front of myself that there are going to be passages that I'm just, I'm going to struggle with certain aspects of God or certain ways I see God. And that does not eliminate the benefit. It doesn't eliminate the positives of what I can get from that scripture. I think that's excellent, and I think that's that's really critical for us to say, not just in this, but in everything, just own, man, that's really a hard passage. I mean, there's a couple of hard passages, especially Paul's writing. Peter even himself says, Paul writes a lot of things that are really hard to understand, <laughs> and Peter was being carried along by the Spirit as he wrote. So uh, we just have to know, God told us some of this will just be hard to put together. It's interesting, I, I share my my perplexion is is a bit different now than it was before when we yeah. did this but i share the the roots of it in the chapter 19 of matthew jesus is in situations three specific things happen there's an encounter about marriage and it's focused on is it okay to divorce somebody easily is it okay for a man just to divorce a woman because he doesn't like her anymore and jesus talks about marriage and then you have the apostles almost this sideline sidebar that they're like well then who should marry if it's going to be that you know what i mean and then the children come and um and the, the apostles like stay away from jesus he's an important man and he's like no bring you got to become like children and then the rich man comes and he said and he says man it's hard for the rich to get into heaven those three things are parts of their culture that were given 
This idea that children should be seen and not heard, this idea that men have the power to divorce women for every reason and they're in charge completely of marriage, like functionally they're the god of their marriage, and this idea that the rich are closer to God, those were three common sense dynamics in their culture. And Jesus says, that's not right. And I and they are shocked. Like, like I think we have some sense now that the rich people, it doesn't mean you're being blessed by God because now we know too much <laughs> of, how, of how evil you can be when you have power and money. Um, that's not to say everybody does, but but it just gives you more yeah. access. I think Chris Rock says everybody would be more sinful if they had opportunity, you know. <laughs> and he doesn't say exactly that right. The great the, theologian of our time, right? Chris exactly. Rock. But but he hit that on the head. Is that I would commit more sin, most likely, if I just had more opportunity and less accountability. Which means I need to make sure I have more accountability, you know, yeah. as 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 I have more power. But but he's setting up for this parable because I think they're they're just they're they're spinning you know what i mean their heads are spinning because he just took three things that were concepts uh that were standard in their culture and says those are wrong those are not right i want to introduce you to a whole different way of thinking because they would think what value could you have in listening to a child why would it be more honorable not to be rich i mean th- mm-hmm. these are shockers to them you know that's really good and that sets up this and what he's saying is the economy is just so different when you live in eternity when you believe that now here's the what's perplexing to me jesus you could have told a better story like you could have told a better story like what she says about this grace in your face and and that means to be an assertive statement you know like don't you want grace to be gentle but yes it's it's critical that jesus told the story so that the ones that have worked harder and longer would witness the ones you know experiencing it with very little work relatively speaking jesus Mm -hmm. wanted them not just the people in the story to see it, but he wanted the apostles in particular to witness the sense of injustice that rises up in us. And God's like, if you could see from an eternal perspective, mm. this would fall into place. But you, part of it you can't because you're limited. But I think this way too. I remember hearing uh, on some news thing, history thing, where it was talking about, oh, what did they call it before Prohibition? But there was some movement that was sponsored most by Christians, temperance movement. And and that's what set up Prohibition. And what's interesting is, while this is all going on, there are serious um, problems. I can't remember what, what war was being fought or whatever, but like people were dying, you know, and I mean, this is a terrible situation. And yet they're so fixated on, well, if we can just get rid of alcoholism, you know what I mean? And that became prohibition, which led to more killing and more corruption and more power, you know, in, in, in bad ways. And it was just this idea of they were so f- over-focused on their perceived injustice of the day that it led them to being so off-balanced, you know what I mean? And I think that's what you see happening here is they're like, we have a certain sense of justice that all of our Jewish friends would agree with, and here Jesus comes along, he's like, even this most sacred thing, that more work should equal more money, mm-hmm. I'm saying it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. And to me, what perplexes me is you could have told your story cleaner, <laughs> you know what I love about what you said there is we read this story and it's kind of like an uppercut to the jaw in terms of like the like you said the sense of inju- like of injustice and man I com- I completely get that and I completely feel that that struggle uh, but when you put it when you put it into the context of, of Matthew 19 and all these things like for us like the idea of like you know being able to 
like as as modern day Christians, it's not that radical to think, hey, maybe you shouldn't divorce your spouse for you know whatever reason. Maybe the husband shouldn't lord over his wife, like like he's he's God. And and you know, yes, children have special value and and they're important. Um, and the rich aren't naturally just better people because they they're rich and God has blessed them with that. Like those are not those are not groundbreaking ideas. But when you really put it into perspective, like you did, it takes this like you know single uppercut and it just it, it's like. Like in Matthew 19, Jesus was just body jabbing like the culture. He's just body jabbing their worldview. And then he throws the uppercut. I, I, I love when I can, um, you know, I can p- put this sort of imagery on, on, on Aggressive the Aggressive metaphor. No, no, but I, I think this is so, yeah. it's so helpful for me to remember when I come up against a passage like this and I'm really struggling with it to be like, you know, for them, for the people listening to Jesus, they would have just like almost everything that Jesus said was contradicting, um, was contradicting something important for them during that time and so because we've become so saturated with with the story of the bible and in a lot of ways that's really good in a lot of ways it's really unhelpful because for us when we come up against this one passage we're like man i'm really struggling with this one passage when the reality is when we put it in the proper context the people originally hearing these stories and originally like who these letters were written to who these books were written to uh they would have been feeling that over and over and over again it would not have been just like man i'm really struggling with this one passage you would have been hey i'm really struggling with this whole thing which is why we always try to come up with a perplexion when we do these stories because i think for the original audience it would have just been this constant um these constant blows to their worldview into how they viewed things and you saying that just really helped helped me and it is an important reminder and i think this is this gets to like you know to the foolishness of christ is you go well why are you why are you reading a book that you're just constantly perplexed over why are you reading this book that you're just constantly getting smacked upside the head over and over again uh and we'll talk about that at some point but man that that that's just really helpful for me yeah that is that is that is really really good and i and i think and what's fascinating about this is I will do some thinking about this. I'm doing thinking about it right now, and then I'll need to be taught it again a month from now yeah. and two months from now in in deeper ways or just reminders. Here's what's interesting. I think if you if you were sitting there as the apostles and you're hearing this parable, he's just hit you three times really quickly, four times now with, you're like really unjust and out of touch, Jesus. I, I mean, I think it's a really reasonable thought if you're sitting there listening to him especially if you weren't an apostle, like you're just a disciple, you hear a little bit here and there, you just feel like, this guy is so out of touch. And then he follows it up with, by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to die on a cross for people that don't deserve it at all. And it's like all my objections all of a sudden are like, oh, yeah, I wasn't called to take on Christian principles and live it the best I know how. I was called to be like my Savior who died for everyone. The biggest injustice ever. I mean, if anybody deserved to live forever and experience no pain, it's the guy that came. I mean, his very coming to earth was sacrifice that I'll never understand. He, you know, he 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 dumped it all out. His, the this this dynamic of being equal to God. You know, he dumped it out to become you know the lowest of lowest human. All of a sudden, all those things I thought were unjust, they pale in comparison. Mm. You know, and, and one other thing that pops in my head that that helps me kind of conceptualize if i took from let's say we had the same thing and i'm paying you you know the, the in this equity you know I'm, you're you're at ups and you get paid the same as the guy that works you know an hour's worth in a eight hour nine hour shift whatever um and then i say but as part of the union it, let's say i added this the story at the end as part of the union you take this is your spending money because you have access to trillions of dollars 
Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that takes the pressure off dynamically. And then this is the thing that's hard is when I think about this guy getting paid and going back to feed his family and stuff like that, because we think scarcity on earth, you know what I mean? But when you when you cross over to eternal, the reason I won't be resentful to the guy that confessed Jesus, you know, an hour, you know, had had his salvation, you know, an hour before he died on death row is because I will feel so overwhelmed with the unending blessing of being face-to-face with God I won't notice the disparity. When Isaiah was in the presence of God, he wasn't like all these other people are jerks. His first conviction was, <laughs> compared to you, I'm a jerk. But an hour before that, he probably thought, I'm so much better than these jerks. Yeah. And then he's like, we're all jerks. We're all unclean by comparison. And that's the challenging thing is we imagine this parable, and I'm still on earth getting underpaid for my work, mm-hmm. where Jesus is saying, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's not after we die. That's right now. We just we have a hard time accessing that in our brains yeah it's hard to flip the switch from we live in a scarcity environment a scarcity culture and switching to the abundant nature of the kingdom of god and man that that's so helpful for me i think just kind of touching on what lita said about the death row inmate man i I, like i that is a very common thing that i've heard um for people to rebut christianity oh you know osama bin laden is about to get you know killed and he just he he shouts it out and he's saved or you know how how is it fair that and I, I totally feel that and I totally honor that that feeling because man I, I know that I have I have felt that sort of thing in, in my own life but I think about what like like the people that Jesus tends to like really set apart as special and um, to be like hey these are these are people who are really getting it these are people who are like these are part of my kingdom I'm thinking about the Roman centurion um, who would have not been the expected person to get it he would have been completely outside of outside of it and then I think about when Jesus is on the cross and the criminal, um, when he tells the criminal that, you know, today you will be with me in paradise over and over and over again, Jesus is constantly trying to tell us and show us that it's, it's not what we think it's going to be. And it's not who we think it's going to be. And for me that the struggle is, and I think this is a struggle in modern day America is it's so hard to get back into that mindset that for me, where I find myself right now, I'm not the Roman centurion. I'm not the man on the cross. I'm the religious elite. I'm the person in the position of power. I'm the person um, who is going to naturally uh, be jealous of the of the other thans getting in. And so for me, it just has to be this constant check and this constant reminder that, like you said, when you compare, like you said, when you compare, like when you get the eternal perspective, it just really starts to. It puts things into perspective. And so, yeah, uh, man, thank you so much, Lita. Uh, yes, it, it is it is you. such a blessing. I, I hope this wasn't weird for you. Uh, I remember recording the episode on Heather, and uh, I, I'm a really, really fascinated to go back and listen to these back-to-back, and my, my expectation is they're going to be completely different, and hopefully that's cool for you too, and uh, maybe it, it blesses you in a, in a particular way. If you want to be a part of this, if you want to submit a parable that you've struggled with or uh, a parable that you have some particularly amazing thoughts on or particularly perplexing thoughts on we would love to hear from you you can find uh, out how to do that at amazingperplex.com once again man we just we love to hear from you and and over and over and over again we just want to invite you into the conversation because not only does it like bless us it blesses so many others and so grace peace and love 